It's the lowdown on Sports 1440. Brought to you by Wolf GMC Buick. Check them out. WolfGMCBuick.com. Hurry in for financing as low as 0%, cash discounts, and more on remaining 2023 Sierra half tons plus cash discounts on remaining GMC and Buick SUVs. WolfGMCBuick.com. Red Solo Cup. How long have they been around? I know I was drinking out of them a long time ago. My goodness, what a loaded question. I, as long as I can remember, that's for no. sure. They're and an you institution. Guys, like, you know, you would be drinking uh, apple juice and uh, Kool-Aid. Mostly. A lot of Kool-Aid. Yeah, Fresca. Kool-Aid. You know. I used to kill Frescas back in the day. No. Oh. My goodness. Great pull. I'm going to say, well, I mean, I was 20 in the 80s, so they were around then. The 70s. But okay. the Cone oh. Solo Cup came out in 1936. Wow. You researched it, hey? I did My research goodness, it. I, this was an important question that people wanted to know. <laughs> Listen, when Low Tide asks, we better well, find an answer. That, By the way, that's a great song. You guys know that song, right? Oh, yes. yeah. All right. Well done. Okay. It's like asking us if we know Happy Birthday. Twinkle, Twinkle, Little Star. Of course we know that song. I'm going to go here with Truck in the Park because... I think we're, you know, it's like, um, you know how sometimes you get a, a cut or something and then it scabs over and you just can't, like say it's on your finger and because we're guys, you just pick away at it and then it, it kind of, you reopen the wound and then you do it three or four. Have you done that before? Um, I'd like to say I haven't. However, no. uh, yes, I have. Okay. So th- what I'm talking about, boys, is the Oilers and the needs of the deadline. This is from Truck in the Park. Low Tide, we're watching a mirage right now, playing with fire. The biggest need is depth on D. Vegas used eight last year during the playoffs. Colorado used seven the year before. The Oilers have been so fortunate this year with no injuries. You have to go into the playoffs with at least eight D that can be contributing in the playoffs if required. Yes, another D, but D should be the first priority. Okay, so you guys talked about your priorities. I've always wanted a center, a right-handed center, and I think that, that... McLeod and Fogel and Holloway are different versions of the same guy if you put him on the wing. And I'm liking McLeod boys with Leon. So is it possible, is it possible that they trade for a right-handed defenseman and Nick Dowd and they move CC down, DeHarnay becomes a seventh defenseman, which is something that our friend, our learned friend Donovan said in the green room, and you get a center for that third center spot that you were talking about, Declan, to replace McLeod, who moves up to the Leon line, or is that just too mind-blowing to comprehend? It's a lot of moving parts, but I don't think it's out of the realm of possibility. I think the natural question then becomes, what names are you looking at? What specifics are you looking at for those positions? Well, I mean, you talk about Nick Dowd as that fourth-line guy who's going to be that 3C, and is McLeod fit to be a top-six winger? Well, that's the question. You have time to find out, though. There is still time. You've got, what? what is it, like 14, 16 days? February screws me up, man. Yeah, I know. It's oh, such a mess. I think, yeah, it's something like that. We'll, we'll say 17 days, maybe. February isn't even a name of a woman. See, you, I've heard of January, March, April, May, June. June. They're all names of ladies. August? February? No. Nah. February is like goofy. Don't you think? I don't mind it. I would name my child February. I think it's a cool name. It's not something I think about much, but if I'm throwing it out there off the so top So you're right open now, to having children, is that correct? 
Yeah, a little Al Jr. Wouldn't be bad. <laughs> Al February Jr. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's the best thing we did. I, I will say kids are the best. They really, truly are. Um, even when they're hitting you up for money, um, it's it's all good. Uh, McDavid may hit 100 assists this year on pace for 99. Only three players have ever done that before. Does that lock him into the heart? If he does, eight other players have scored 70 goals. So what's harder? McDavid was in Toronto. We know what the answer would be. I don't know, guys. I really don't. Like, there was a time when I was on that train. Like, Fernando Pisani not winning the Masterton that one year. I was so choked about it. I've never forgotten it. But, but, you know, Leon has won the big awards. McDavid has won them, like, a lot. I don't know if you if you're an Oiler fan if you can you know it's not like McDavid is shooting lights out here this year he's had ups and downs we all agree if he hits a hundred assists that's fantastic. Well, the other thing is he's on pace for ninety nine, right? Mm-hmm. Cooch and Mac both have fifty eight right now, so they would both be just below that if right. things go according to plan. So in this scenario, none of them have hit at one hundred. McDavid was close. McDavid and Cooch would have more goals and more points if the pace stays stays the same. So right. I don't know. Then in that question, if Matthews does hit 70, the pace he's on, I, I, I wonder what the question becomes. I wonder where the voters start to look. That's a good question. But I just think 70 goals. Okay. Is 70 goals more impressive than 100 assists? Yeah, I, I think so. Okay, yeah, so then sure. we have our we have our answer. I mean, if you like a secondary, you can't get a secondary goal, right? But you can get a secondary assist, and I do think that carries. <laughs> well, I know that sounds a little bit silly, but I do think like some of these secondary assists. I'm not taking away from the stat, but some of these secondary assists are not as indicative of the play that yeah. played out as much as a goal is. I've always said, and nobody listens to me, but there are times when you should be allowed to award a third assist because it's more impressive than a second assist on another goal. I actually, I, funny you mentioned that because Connor had a question on the Jason Greger show a little while ago about sports stats you wanted to see added. And I wanted to see something. Now, naturally, my mind did go to the NBA, mm-hmm. but I wanted to see a stat, something like that. Like the how many times did your initial play contribute to the basket or something right. like that? I'd yeah. like to see the same in hockey. So yeah. it's, a, it's, a, it's a nice sentiment. I'd also like to see that in soccer where they do talk about assists, but it's not really value. A lot of times the goal is a tap in in soccer. The play is the pass yeah. or the corner kick, right? Do you think corner kicks are luck or they're trying? No, you've said plays for corner kicks in soccer. That's what I mean. Yeah. So I think you should get an assist for that and it should be valued. Oh, I would agree. Okay. Well, we're changing the world as we know it. I love it. Listen, Kevin De Bruyne is co- commonly thought of as one of the best players in the world. All he does is pass the ball and yeah, make yeah. beautiful through balls. Exactly. So there's you merit know. to it. Matthews can have the hard trophy. We want the cup. Oh my! See, that's the that's the great line. That is the the uh, Sugar Sean nailed it. I guarantee you, that's what Connor McDavid's thinking. Guarantee it, and it shows you how you can be. Above the fray, if you are genuinely um, more of a team player. One time they asked Ted Williams what the highlight of his career was, and he talked about batting records, and he talked about uh, playing with, you know, uh, hitting in Fenway and all the things that he'd done, all the exploits. And they asked Joe DiMaggio the same question, and they said, what was the highlight of your career? And he said, being a New York Yankee. Now that's the answer. That's the one that you go, oh, my. Meanwhile, the Yankees were winning World Series left, right, and center. Let's get Nick Bugstad back. 
Janine from Calgary or Jamie from Calgary. Jamie, they, they, he makes too much. I don't think he can make that deal. Okay, we've talked about the 70 goals and the 100 assists. We're, we're talking about the, like, I'll be honest with you, I lived through the 70s and the 80s, and it was easier to score 70 goals then than it is 50 now, or at least it felt like it. And, you know, I think Orr getting 100 assists in 70-71 really was something else. But, but 70 goals is just a monster. It just is. And there was... Um, was it what year was it that that Solani and McGillney scored like a massive amount of goals? Yeah, Solani's rookie year when he had yeah, seventy six. Yeah. yeah, and so I think that's incredible. By the way, yeah, it, how Charlie, the hell did that happen? Oh my! You know what? At the draft, very legendary story. It's in my book. That Sather tried to talk Winnipeg out of that pick. He wanted the pick so badly so he could take Solani, and Winnipeg did. And there you go. Alk and the Oilers really go into their last cup run before Drysaddle needs a new contract with an experimental winger on the second line. 14 days is the proverbial small sample size, isn't it, Maple Jed? Well, 200 minutes. Let's say you're playing 12 games, and I think they are. You'd get a good idea. And he, pl- I mean, you saw the goal yesterday, and, and Donovan said it. He said, you know, McLeod's shooting more, is, and that's because Leon has the puck, and Leon gets you the pack, puck, and McLeod is shooting the puck because he has it in a really good spot. McLeod can't. He doesn't push the river. He can't make that play himself. He can't engineer that play himself. He's a complimentary scorer. You're never going to find a guy who like. I'd love to see the Edmonton Oilers make a trade for like a Patrick Kane or uh, the kid in uh, Pittsburgh uh, with the unusual name. What's his name? Jake Gensel. Yes, but I don't think I don't think they have the torque to do that. I just don't think they do. So maybe it's going to be Ryan McLeod. What if he scores 69 and Connor gets 100 assists? I'm, I'm growing tired of this, I will say. Uh, I, think we, I think the gentleman to my collective right answered it. I said, what's more impressive, 70 goals or 100 assists? They both said 70 goals. I'm going with that. Playoff, to Mc, uh, playoff MVP to McDavid after the Cup win. That's what he'd want. I guarantee he would give all the trophies back for a Stanley Cup. And I th- I've said all year, I said last year too, I think they are going to win it. I know he'll win it. I know he Leon will win it. I just I'm hoping for Oiler fans. It's here. I, I'm I, I'm very interested in, and I think we've talked about it. I won't talk about it anymore. But I'm very interested in the Yager. If he had broken the record, I think there would have been more love passed his way. Like if a guy from Sudbury or Sarnia or Meadow Lake or. <clears throat> Prince George did it, I think there'd be all kinds of love. And I think that Yager is, I, I think he would have been well loved breaking the record. But the Ovechkin, you can already feel it now. The, the, there's no, it's very muted, very muted. And like nobody's counting down. There's not a big clock anywhere. Maybe the world's changed. Maybe there are no big clocks. By the way, he's up to 14 now. Do you think, he, round the table, then we'll take a break. Do you think Alex Ovechkin will break the record? He's at 836, and he scored 14 so far this year. He's 38. 
I'm giving it to him. I, I always love seeing records broken. So I'm going to say Ovi does it. He's he's a, I'm going to say the most prolific goal scorer we've ever seen other than maybe Yarmer Yager. Yeah, I think he's, I think he is, but he hasn't broken the record yet. What do you think? I do think he'll get this is this was a point of contention a few weeks back on the show. I know one of our one of our listeners had asked me to make a poll about it. The overwhelming majority of that poll was no. I do think he'll get it. I think he'll play until he gets it. But I do think it is going to be a long slog to get there. I don't think it's going to be pretty. I think Washington is going to be in a pretty tough position when he gets it. But I do think if I had to put money down that he gets the record. All right. By the way, uh, this is from Harpreet uh, Pander from Hockey Night in Canada. Um, looks like Archdeep Baines, who we talked about earlier, will make his NHL debut tonight. He'll the fourth Punjabi to do this. Robin Bawa in 1989, Manny Mahaltra in 1998, and Jujar Kara, uh, November 18, 2015. So that's pretty awesome. I'm glad. You know, he was a... He, kid in the WHL he signs the free agent and he makes us all the way it makes it all the way there that'll be something to watch for tonight on the way Daniel Nugent Bowman from the athletic talking about the orders the road trip he covered it well we'll talk about that the penalty kill uh and the second period which has become something of an unsolved mystery low down with low tide on sports 1440 it's the lowdown on sports 1440 for Wolf GMC Buick check them out at wolfgmcbuick.com Speaking of uh, checking out, Daniel Nugent Bowman joins us from The Athletic, who has been writing brilliantly for several years now. Uh, I always love you when you take those road trips, you find out great stuff. Uh, this was, I mean, this was the the, uh, the unsolved mystery. I didn't see Robert Stack with you on the, the, on the road trip, Daniel, but the second period has, they may just want to skip that period and go right to the third. Brilliantly. Okay. I, I, I need to hire you as my agent. I like, I like, I like your, uh, your phrasing here, Al. Um, yeah, maybe they could play 40 minutes. Just not, not play the second period for, for, for a little while. Man. Uh, it hasn't gone too well for them. Um, but, uh, third period, I wouldn't say, you know, there are three periods of the game and they're all equally important, but third period, kind of decides the victor in a lot of cases and, and they've been able to uh, to do well enough in that frame um, which which matters anyway you obviously saw it yesterday in, in Tempe uh, Arizona where they you know they scored four in the third and um, it, you know the more things change the more they stay the same and and, and I say that because um, we see a lot of times um, uh, with various other coaches over the years and there have been many, I uh, like to change their lines going into the third period, and, I, and that's not a knock on, on Chris Knobloch because uh, things haven't been working uh, as well the last little while, and you, you can just kind of tell the third period starting where you get some new lines here, um, and that's what happens a lot of times. He likes to go to the um, the big boys uh, playing together in terms of McDavid and Drysaddle, but did split them up a bit too. So um, you know um, he for a guy that likes to. Um, be kind of steady and um, and not change things uh, up front, especially when things aren't working. He will he will make changes, and, and we've seen that um, you know since the All Star break, especially because uh, they needed to make some changes going to the third period, and um, at least they, they picked up a couple wins and on that trip and and uh, heading home with a four and three record since the All Star break. I don't know the the one of the things about second periods that I always check down to when when. 
when there are a problem is is um, line changes and shift length. And the orders do have like about, I'll say, 10 guys who are over 50 minutes uh, time on ice per shift and like Bouchard, McDavid, uh, Hyman, Dreisaitl are a minute. Um, could that be it? Could it be just lingering for offense or or is this just one of those things? Maybe it's the defensemen who are getting out late. Probably 50 seconds, right, Al? Yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> just, I'm just kidding. You, you didn't say 50 minutes would be a quite a long shift. Quite a long, that's <laughs> Phil Esposito level, yeah. <laughs> There's a blast from the past. Um, you know what? I haven't noticed that as, as much. I, I'm not discounting, disputing anything you said, but it is obviously, you're right. I mean, it's harder to make a change in the second period with the with the benches further away. Um, yeah, and they do have guys like, you know, the power play I think is a, is a different animal, but obviously look at that first unit. Um um, you know, staying out for for ninety seconds plus uh, on the power play, and, and you know sometimes that can bleed into the five on five play too, right? So, um, yeah, it's something to, to certainly keep an eye on. Um, you know, they have guys, some pretty high end guys that like to push for offense. So, um, and, and especially in a case like Connor McDavid uh, has incredible stamina. So, if you can stay, you know, catch. Now stay out a little bit later than, than a player normally would and maybe catch uh, somebody in a bad spot on a bad change, um, you know, get a weaker matchup because uh, that, uh, you know, their, their uh, optimal line that is going against McDavid, for instance, goes off. Like, that that could be advantageous too, but it is something to be mindful of. It is something to be a little bit more uh, cognizant and careful of, I think, if you're the Oilers, um, especially since the second periods haven't been going well as late. As of late, excuse me. So uh, let's talk penalty kill. Uh, oh you know they were they were not good, and then the coaching change comes, and then they're brilliant, and then I think it's like ten goals in the last six games or something. It's six been games, yeah. It, it's been and they're outscoring in uh, the other game uh, 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 states, but the penalty kill and ordinarily you yell at the players or whatever, but it seems like whatever they were doing has been MacGyvered by the opposition and everybody knows there needs to be improvement, but it's not happening. Uh, I imagine the coaches are, you know, furrowed brows and late at night and all of those things. But what's, what's like, how bad is it to be this bad? Yeah. It seems like every, I mean, since the all-star break, uh, the Vegas game, they, they didn't allow a goal, but the other six, the last six they have, it almost seems like every time that they go on the PK, there's a good chance that they're going to be scored on. And that obviously has, has, um, has come to fruition. Um, yeah. I mean, uh, Chris Knobloch touched on it recently. I'm just, you know, he doesn't think they're doing a ton wrong. They're not getting maybe that, that extra state safe, you know, typically from Stuart Skinner because he's played more of the games, but from, from their goaltenders. Uh, and I would also point to, you know, changing up personnel a little bit because of trying to work um, Sam Garnier back into the lineup. I mean, that means um, a guy like uh, Jan Mark has come out in recent days, and now Connor Brown has too. So um, that kind of messes with, with things uh, as well. I would say some guys just aren't playing it as well too. Um, there was a couple of goals at the Dallas game, particularly um, where they they allowed rush entries just far too easily. Whether it was Nurse or, or uh, I mean Nurse typically plays with CC. Um, uh, Deharnay has struggled, I think, a, a little bit as well uh, in recent days on the PK. Um, so there's a lot of kind of 
um, factors that are that are kind of piling up here. And, uh, you know, because of the sustained level of success that they did have um, under Knobloch and, and Mark Stewart, I would say they should be able to get back to it at some point quickly. But as they are kind of uh, allowing these goals, making it more difficult on themselves to win games and plummeting down the uh, the, the rankings of, uh, league-wide in the PK, it is an issue. And it's something that they do need to clean up pretty quickly here. Uh, Daniel Nugent Bowman, our guest from The Athletic. Daniel, on the 17th of February, 2024, you wrote about uh, why a scoring winger should be the Oilers' top trade deadline mm-hmm. priority uh, and lots of great points in there. Uh, and, and, you know, I think we can all agree McDavid, Dreisaitl, Hyman, Nuge, Kane are the five, and it's that extra mm-hmm. player. And everybody's got an opinion, and I know that the... Uh, you know, Ken Holland always goes for the famous guy. So if Patrick Kane's available, maybe him or something along those lines. But they're, they're obviously cap is an issue. Maybe trading out a player, maybe a defenseman or Warren Fogle might be the, the solution there. Are you getting a sense that they're leaning one way or another? Or is it really just waiting to see what's available at an affordable price at the deadline? I don't know that for certain. I think there's something to be said about your your latter point there where uh, because for for my uh, uh, stance, I guess we'll call it that, on, on advocating maybe for a scoring winger, I, I do think there's a real opportunity and wouldn't think any less if they did acquire a top four defensively because that's a real need too. Um, I just think um, the way the team has played defensively heading into the All-Star break, um, there's a bit, a little bit more proof of concept with the D than there, than there are the forwards. Again, I mean, if you can upgrade your number four uh, defense and, and, and you know, to call him out, Cody Ceci, if you can upgrade that spot, that's, a, I think, a real win uh, for the for this team. And then you have a, you know, legitimate top four. I mean, that's the same, uh, not to disparage Cody Ceci, because uh, when his first year on the contract, he was their, their most reliable, most consistent defenseman. Um, but, I, I, I mean, you know, if, if he wasn't making that salary and you could still fit him in, I, I think you'd like him a lot more on the third pair. And, I do think highly of, of, of Vinny DeHarnay in that role too, but I, I think there's a real um, ability or, or need to uh, upgrade that spot too. I just think up front though, um, they're missing a six forward, and they have been for a while. Like you know, whether it's Yessi Puliarvi or um, Kyler Yamamoto, or like last year having to use Nick Bukestad in that role. Um, there's been kind of a, a six, like a bona fide six spot missing and, and if that's the worst thing that you're missing on your team it's, it's not so bad especially when on this team you know they've had Ryan McLeod fill in and, and Warren Fogel and now Corey Perry in recent days and um, you know Sam Gagne for a couple of games early in the year like they have guys that can do it for a little bit but I think you know if you if, if you can get that guy um, you know your six top six six forward um, and have Fogel and have McLeod and a Perry as three guys in your bottom six. I think that looks pretty good. So yeah, you can address both things. Great if you could if you, you need to address I think one of them, whether that's the six forward spot in your top six or your number four defenseman. You need to address at least one of them. I just think there's a bit more value in, in the forward spot. But again, if, if they address the D and, and didn't address the forward spot, I think you're okay too. They just got, they have to address one of them. Any hope left for Connor Brown? Like, I know he was healthy scratched. Uh, and look, I mean, nobody, I'm sure, feels worse about it than Connor Brown. But that contract, 
uh, and the bonus, of course, are are kind of an albatross right now. Um, is 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 there a sense he's getting closer, or like he hasn't scored in so long, like this year and the previous year? That that I mean, I think we're we're at Tobias Reader levels now, and I feel bad for him. But do you think he'll play? Like consistently down the stretch here, or do you think Gagne will slide in more often over Brown? Well, at least the others aren't missing the playoffs because he hasn't scored a goal, though, right? Like, that's, <laughs> that's, um, yeah, but let's let's be real though, Al. Like they're in this this spot of not having um, a six top six four because Connor Brown has not scored, right? Like this, he was brought in to be the, that guy. Like he was the upgrade over Kyler Yamamoto. That was how it was supposed to work. And we're near the end of February now and he hasn't scored a goal. Like, and yeah, he had one called back in December, maybe or whatever that was. And, uh, you know, we've had some other chances and, and whatnot, but he feel like, at some point, you got to score a goal, and uh, I think we're past the point now where we're looking at him as a top six forward for the team. Like it's just not going to happen this year. And um, yeah, he's doing some other things that you know, if he's in your lineup in the playoffs, playing whatever six minutes at even strength and, and penalty killing a bit, you know, he's because he does do a good job on the PK. Um, so if he's playing ten to twelve minutes, and and you know a third to half that time being on the PK or whatever the case, like, you know, there's a, there's, there's a roster spot for him potentially, but if you can upgrade, great. And yeah, the bonus is a huge issue. It's a huge issue for next year. But, you know, I was talking about this with with somebody earlier today, actually coincidentally, but if he's a $4 million player, uh, which is kind of what he is for all intents and purposes with that contract, you're really mad because you can't do anything about that guy this year. Yeah. But at least now he's a league minimum player. And I, I know next year is a pain and it really hurts and everything like that. But if you're just thinking about this year, you can replace that player, whether it's, you know, trading him to, you know, get another player on the roster or um, just letting him be your 13th or 14th forward or whatever, depending on how the roster shakes out and, and how the cap situation works. You can replace him. Um, and that might be what they need to do because he's clearly for, you know, the, the value that he brings on the PK, he is there. Uh, no, uh, he's no better than their 11th forward right now. And, and um, you know, depending on the day, they're 13th, right? So um, it, 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 but to, to go back to the original point, like they're in this mess because Connor Brown just hasn't panned out. And there's a lot, um, a lot of good fingers to point there. Obviously Brown himself, Ken Holland for bringing him in, Jeff Jackson, the agent, who's now working for the team. Uh, and you got to even look at Connor McDavid, who really vouched for this guy. So there's a yeah. lot, you know, and then there's to be more. You know, there's clearly scouts involved, too. So um, it just hasn't worked. There's a lot going on uh, with that, that situation. But again, you can replace him. You can find a way to make that situation better because of the way the contract was structured. As, as poorly and as uh, painfully as that uh, will look next year. Uh, I wanted to ask you, because it, it, for me, this is a great week. There's there's Boston in town. I love the Bruins. Uh, there's a BOA on the weekend. Uh, even next week, Kings are, are that's going to be a great tilt. Five games at home here. Um, and when you, when you see this, the schedule 
uh, in late summer or whenever it comes out. Do you kind of circle, you know, circle areas or times? And is this one of them? Because as a fan, this is like a fantastic time. And as somebody who observes, it is a fantastic time. But for somebody who writes about the team and, and you know, they're in a good spot now, but they still have challenges. How big is this week for you when you kind of contemplate what you're going to write about and maybe angles you're going to take on stories? Honestly, the first thing I do when I look at the schedule that comes out in June is because I don't do all the road games. I will do 12 to 15 or something like that. So, you know, a third-ish, closing in a third, a quarter to a third. I just kind of look at, like, where are the best the opportunities to go on the road, uh, what kind of road stories are, are best. And, and you know, I, I usually go on trade deadline trip, and there's a couple – maybe another one that's a must. And so it's kind of like figuring that out. So I don't look at the, quite honestly, I don't look at the home schedule too closely because all the teams come here at some point and they'll come eventually. So I, I uh, unless there's like a, a guy, you know, a guy that is a, a pertinent player that the Oilers might be looking to get or um, a player that I really want, want to see. I don't really look at home games that closely. And, to be honest, I was like talking to my uh, Boston colleague with Ludo Shinsawa because we were working on a story together. And he's like, oh, I'll see you tomorrow. I said, oh, yeah, Boston's in town. <laughs> kind of forgot about that. So um, I don't look at it in the same way that a fan might. So, uh, yeah, I do know they have Boston and, and Calgary and certainly Winnipeg in between, or sorry, yeah, Minnesota in between. And they've got a, a schedule where they've got five in a row at home. That's I, I do notice that stuff because – uh, in December, they, they had six in a row at home, and they played every second day. And it was like, holy cow, that's bizarre. That seems bizarre. So, kind of bizarre things that pop up where you have five or six in a row at home. Um, that tends to to be interesting. But in terms of like opponents or, or that type of thing, uh, it kind of comes and, and goes. And I know that certain that, that they, all the teams are coming here anyway, so they'll they'll eventually all come. <laughs> that's not a great answer for you, but uh, that's just. That's how my mind works anyway. I don't know about yours. No, well, that's, I mean, it's, it's great insight because obviously you're looking at it from the point of view of, of stories and things that you may already have in mind. And if they're coming here anyway, the difference between November and January wouldn't make a big deal unless it was a very specific story that was time sensitive. One of the things about the Bruins, that because I follow them pretty closely, they have some injuries. Uh, Lindholm was, uh, last I checked, there was some uncertainty about him. Greslak has had some problems through the year. Forbert, um, I, everybody talks about the, the Bruins maybe getting a, a winger, but I think they might be like Edmonton, possibly in the market for a defenseman. Yeah, and well, that and also, you know, this is kind of the thirty thousand foot view or whatever. But I would think they'd have, have more of a need at center, though, wouldn't you? Mm-hmm. Like just given that they lost uh, Bergeron and um, and uh, Krejci in the off season, I mean, and certainly they've been able to, um, you know be much better than I thought they would be given those losses and, and then like a fixture, uh, high top Eastern conference standing a lot to, to make the playoffs. But, um, that's a, a need that I, I would see. Um, now it's, it's pretty tough to go get a top two line center, um, at the deadline and maybe the kind of like the Oilers where they'll have to, um, just find, you know, the best player that they can for the right, you know, money contract cap, stipulations etc um but i, I you know I, I would think they they need more help down the middle and and depending on the health of, of their defenseman there because that's you know those are more important positions than the wings but um 
Yeah, I mean, again, I, I think they uh, are in a, in a spot kind of like the Oilers as a top, you know, five, eight, ten team, whatever in the league, where they, they're just in the business of making upgrade, upgrades and making their team better. Yeah, it's and then like they're in first place, and oftentimes you, you know, you're you're looking to rent, and they don't have a lot of um, they don't have a lot of picks or or prospects. They're kind of in a no man's land, and they don't like Edmonton. They don't have any cap. I asked this earlier the the gentleman who I work with here. I'm going to ask you: Do you think it would be better for the NHL if they had like one every three years? You could tap into a an extra resource and maybe make a trade for a player at the deadline that puts you over the cap, and and not have it apply to the following year, but just kind of be a free like a get out of jail free card you could use once every three years. How difficult does this make my job? That's what I want to know. Does it make it really confusing for me <laughs> much, to do my job? Much more <laughs> difficult, Daniel. Very difficult. You'd have to do math. Yeah. Oh, my God. So the answer is no. I don't like that at all. It, uh, but, no, it's like, you know, I don't I, – I follow other sports enough to, you know, be interested to watch big games. I used to follow baseball a lot more, but now with, with two kids, I don't really have the time. But, you know, I know there's a luxury cap in um, – luxury tax or whatever in baseball. You know, there's like the um, – um, uh, franchise player and as uh, a basketball or football, but there's there's different like uh, ways to work around the cap and have these different things. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's stuff like that is is very intriguing to me. Where hockey is very, uh, you know, it's, it's very cut and dried in terms of the you know your cap, what it is, all that. And you know, certainly there's different things like buyouts and and uh, you know LTIR and stuff like that. But but generally speaking, compared to some of these other sports, I think it's a lot more uh, more basic. So. Um, again, it makes it easier for me, so I kind of like it. But uh, for a fan, for the entertainment value, it's, you know, I'd be open. Um, I, I, anything to make make things more intriguing, I think, would be uh, would be most welcome. So Daniel likes hockey because there is no math. Is that the lead there? Uh, yeah, as long as it can be easily done on a calculator, right? That's <laughs> that's that's for me. But if I need to go and uh, ask somebody or, or or figure it out or. Uh, you know, get, get my wife involved is much smarter than I am. And no, I, I like to make sure that I, I can figure things out. So uh, that's where I'm at. No, I'm just kidding. But anything, anything to make this for more interesting is, is, uh, is up my alley. So. Daniel, thank you. Appreciate it, buddy. You're very welcome. Okay. okay, talk to you soon. Okay, bye-bye. Daniel Nugent Bowman from The Athletic. I want to tell you it's the Battle of Alberta watch party hosted by Kevin Carius on Sports 1440. Saturday... Coming up this Saturday, game time, 8 o'clock, Century Sports Bar and Lounge, Century Casino on Fort Road. Be there at 5 to 7. You can enter to win uh, two tickets of that night's game. They'll also pick up your sports bar tab. We'll then empty the draw barrel at 7 o'clock, and Kevin will get there and enter the prizes to win the Century Casino and Sports 1440. It'll be game day food, beverage specials, and more. It's all coming up this weekend. On the way, it's Mama MMA with our friend Declan. This is the Lowdown with Low Tide on Sports 1440. It's the Lowdown on Sports 1440 for Wolf GMC Buick. WolfGMCBuick.com. What a what a brag. Like, what a bribe by Declan. You know, he talked me into this feature, and he says, and you get to hear ABBA. Mm. What? I was in a moment of weakness, and I love ABBA. I mean, I can only imagine what you're going to make me do for SOS or... Mm. I had the aces, and I got you to shove. And I was sitting there with four of a kind, and now I'm collecting all the chips. The name of the game. I mean, it's just like... My goodness. Holy. So easily manipulated over here. All right. So you, when I saw you today, first blush, you were very excited to do MMA. I was. There must be something that happened that you liked 
Well, to start off, I'll start off with a recap of the event that uh, that has come and gone this past weekend. UFC 298, and there is a new featherweight champion of the world, Ilya Taporia, knocked out Alexander Volkanovsky in the second round and is the new featherweight champion of the world and ushering in of the new era. Fun fact, fighters over the age of 35 in the weight classes from welterweight and below, which is 170 pounds and below, are now 1 in 23 in title fights. The one, the lone win belongs to a guy named Tyron Woodley who who beat Darren Till back in 2018, but 1 in 35. Vol- Alexander Volkanovsky has been a champion since 2019, a little over four years because he won it late in 2019. He had five title defenses. He went up to lightweight, the weight class above, to fight for a second title, fought very well. Some people thought he won his first fight with Islam Makhachev. Then he fought Islam Makhachev again back in October and he got knocked out by a head kick in the first round. Mm. This was a relatively quick turnaround for someone who gets your head kicked, for when you get your head kicked off. He fought a guy with very heavy hands. Head kicked off? His head was kicked right off his body, is what it looked like anyway. But he was fighting a guy with very heavy hands, incredible boxing, and Ilya Taporia. Ilya Taporia is a guy who, if he gets gets you in the pocket, if he puts hands to face, he's going to knock you out. And he knocked Volk out cold. Clean, hit the deck. This guy was out. We have a new featherweight champion. And ushering in of the new era, like I said, this guy is 27 years old. He's undefeated. Very similar to Conor McGregor when Conor McGregor made his uh, first title run. Both uh, were on 14-fight win streaks. Both were 6-0 in the UFC. Both were 27 years old, and both were fighting these uh, these longtime dominant champions. Alex Volkanovsky, incredible career. I assume he's going to get the rematch. I don't know if it's going to go his way because, like I said, for the third time now, this is a new era. The new kids are here, and Ilya Taporia is heading that charge. When do these guys age out? Is it the same as boxing? Um... It depends on the weight class. Like older, heavier weight classes, you can generally go a bit older, Mm -hmm. as counterintuitive as that sounds. But about 35 is when you really start to fall off. And Ilya Taporia now is 27. He's got a long career ahead of him with, I'm sure, a couple title defenses a year. He's going to be a problem for a very long time because this kid is super talented. He can do everything really well. His grappling... Phenomenal. We saw him submit a guy named Bryce Mitchell. His boxing, like I said, is clean as ever. He has very heavy hands for the weight class. He's incredibly crisp, incredibly clean, great defense. Uh, I'm very excited for for what this era is going to hold. So he could buy a new fridge and stove today. Oh, he if he could. He, yeah. the, the the payouts were disclosed, and compared to boxing payouts, these guys are making pennies, but. He's going to get some pay-per-view revenue off his next fight. He He's turned into a big star in Spain, from what I've read. Real Madrid tweeted out that congrats, you know, congrats to Ilya Taporia. We have a, cha- we have a Spanish champion. Why are making as much as the boxers? Um, boxing has something called the Ali Act, where essentially... You know, it goes back to the days of Don King when promoters aren't allowed to rob these guys blind and that the majority of revenue now has to go to the athletes. So it came after Don King then? It did, yeah. Yeah. And the majority of the revenue has to go to the athletes. Uh, UFC is such a commodity and such a monopoly that they control so much of the revenue. And that will change at some point, but... He's, well, hopefully people are getting their heads hammered and they should be making the I, bulk of the money. I don't know if it will, because like I said, the UFC is such a monopoly on it. The UFC, as much as I think these fighters should be getting so much more than they get. And you talk about the revenue they bring in and what they receive and how the percentages are so skewed. The UFC does have something. And I'm not going to sit here and be a shrill for the UFC and defend them. But they do have something going for them that this is the biggest platform you'll ever be on. Right. If you go to one championship, you go to Bellator slash PFL, you go to wherever it may be. You are not going to have a stage like you have in the UFC. So there is something to be said for that, that these guys are getting a getting a viewership that they're not going to get anywhere else. I, t- well, I definitely think they need to get more of the revenue, but I, I understand where the UFC is coming from. I just saw the Iron Claw, so I'm, I'm mad as hell now. I'm on that. But um, all right, continue. UFC 300 also 
has been announced. The main event has been announced. This card is stacked top to bottom. I'm not going to run through all of the names here because I'm sure they would fall on deaf ears, but we have some incredible matchups. The BMF title between Justin Gaethje and Max Holloway is going to be on there. The women's strawweight title between Zhang Weili and Yan Jinan is going to be on there. Two Chinese fighters actually fighting for the uh, women's strawweight title there. And the main event was just announced on Saturday. It's going to be Alex Pereira, the light heavyweight champion, a two-division champion in the UFC. Did it in the shortest amount of times. Did it in only seven fights. He's going to be fighting a former champion by the by the name of Jamal Hill. Guaranteed fireworks. Alex Pereira, I've talked about him before, a two-division kickboxing champion in middleweight and light heavyweight over in glory. Came over to the UFC, won the middleweight title in just five fights, I believe it was, and then won the or four fights, maybe, then won the light heavyweight title uh, in just six, uh, just seven fights, I guess it was. Incredible talent, incredible kickboxer. Hands of Stone, his nickname is Poeton, which translates to Hands of Stone. Jamal Hill is also a guy, incredible former champion, had to vacate the belt because of an injury, but this is going to be a guaranteed fireworks matchup, a banger. Now, a banger, a banger. UFC 300. I think the expectations were we were going to get someone like a Conor McGregor, a name you guys may be familiar with. We were going to get someone like so the a, slow people, the, the remedial reading class. Is that what you're saying? Not the remedial reading class as much, but just people who may not be as familiar with the sport because I'm un, I'm under the impression you guys have heard the name Conor McGregor. Yes, we have. I, and if I went, if I would, if I would be so bold as to ask you guys how many MMA fighters you could name. What Conor McGregor. <laughs> Are you guys familiar with Nate Diaz by chance? I've heard the name, but if he was okay. a shortstop, I wouldn't be surprised. The point I'm trying to be is there were very few. John Jones. <laughs> Have you guys heard of John Jones? John Jacob Jingleheimer Schmidt, but not John Not Jones. close. But right. my point being is that there were very few names that could rally the casual fans. Hmm. To a point of, whoa, this is must-see TV the way Connor had. Connor, I'm sure, was never really in the cards for UFC 300. So overall, the fight was going to be underwhelming, I think, to a lot of people. But you look at this card top to bottom. This is an incredible card. Rank contenders all over the place. A, a very good prospect in the name of Bo Nickel. Former champions all over the place. The card as a whole is a tremendous card. And I understand the letdown some people are facing because this is not the high profile 1.5 million pay-per-view matchup. Some people thought it was going to be on the back of Conor McGregor. But as a whole, this card is outstanding. And it deserves to be watched by everyone. So who is the, like, who is the, who is the next Conor McGregor or does he exist? uh, Conor McGregor was one in a million. This guy hit lightning in a bottle, and sometimes that just happens. It happened with Mike Tyson, even when Mike Tyson was losing fights. It happened with Oscar De La Hoya, who was the golden boy. Floyd Mayweather was a little bit different because so much of what he became was people wanted to see him lose, and he embraced the villain role. But sometimes you just hit a superstar. Conor McGregor is a guy who people are going to tune into even if he loses. That's just where he's at in the sport. We're not going to see a guy like that again. The UFC tries to take years to build up prospects. They try to build years into they try they try they spend years to build guys into what they think Conor McGregor can be but the reality is there just can't be mm-hmm. Conor McGregor was a became a star he was on his own he rallied a nation he hit the he hit the 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 mass media and the mass yeah. you know the mass the mass the masses yeah. in a way that no one else can and that's just something you don't see every day yeah. and that and was him and you can't force that a little bit of luck involved and also the 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 strength of the personality I will say this, though. I think that um, based on this segment, previous to this segment, um, the most famous kind of violent name in Alberta was um, head smashed in Buffalo Jump. Yep. But you have moved forward with head kicked off, and people are way into that. 
When you said head kicked off, I noticed it and I wasn't the only one. Yeah. Is that a phrase that people use? It's a in- phrase I use. It's a phrase so that I think made sense kicked. considering so what to happen. Alex basically, you just saw his head go backwards and the next day. It, it was rattling around there like a pinball when that head wow. kick landed clean. Couple texts here I want to get to. I wanted Izzy DDP and Sean O'Malley is the next huge star. Izzy versus DDP, Driscus Duplessis, who's the current middleweight champion, Israel Adesanya, former middleweight champion. That's a fight I expected. That's what I thought was going to end up headlining UFC 300. They went in a different direction. And Israel Adesanya is a guy who can kind of cultivate the masses like that. He does have a degree of a following. He is a star in his own right. He's a very exciting fighter when he wants to be, not always. And I thought that's how they were going to go. Sean O'Malley, as far as being the next huge star. He's definitely a guy who has a chance. But Sean O'Malley, I think, has been forced a little bit by the UFC. I think he was given an undeserved shot against Peter Yan. Ended up winning that fight. Credit to him in a close fight and then was, you know, fast-tracked to a title shot after knocking out tomato cans. Uh, Sean O'Malley is a guy who I think was forced a little bit. I think he certainly has the potential to be there. But I don't think Sean O'Malley is going to be a guy who is going to be make an event of things. Like when Conor McGregor's fighting, you get together with your friends, you hit the bar and you say, hey, Conor McGregor's fighting, we have to watch this. It was the same thing with Mike Tyson, Floyd Mayweather. I don't think Sean O'Malley's ever going to reach that space. And like I said, it's tough to reach that space. It's one in a million. Sometimes it just happens organically. It can't be forced. And I don't think Sean O'Malley is going to be able to do that. He's a great fighter. I think he can be a face of the UFC. He's very exciting. He's brash. He does have a following as well, but it takes a lot to be that guy. And I'm not sure he can get there. There you go. Are you are you completed, sir? Yeah, you know, I think I did my did my piece. I rambled enough. Well, I think you rambled just the right amount. So, are we done? Did we? Is there anything we forgot, boys? I think we covered it all. All right. I'm well, happy. I enjoyed today. And we're how long are we doing this again? When are you done? I'm done April, middle of April, 18th, so, I want to say, something like that. And you will but, be called away from time to time. But until that happens, we're going to continue this because I'm enjoying it. And that's all that really matters is low tide having a good time. And we had cookies today. All right. Jason Greger on the way, the Tuesday edition of the show. Did he really think it was Monday? I think he may have. Okay. Or I think he may have thought that because uh, we it was the long weekend, the hit was a certainty. Oh. But you texted me today and you said we have well, Rachel, we have Well, I didn't think Daniel. of Jason because yeah. I, he's usually so busy, but I would always love to have Jason on. And I said, All right. whoa, okay. On the on. way, Mr. Greger, this is the Lowdown with Low Tide. Time for a sports update.